who is going to make you to be witnesses unto me. He said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You're going to be my witnesses in all Judea. And you're going to be my witnesses in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth, which is a quote from Psalm 2. And the inheritance that God promises Messiah. You see that in Psalm 2 where the Lord says, speaking to Messiah. Here again, we're, I don't have time to qualify all this stuff with, with, with misunderstanding the persons of God. Okay, We understand God is one person. Jesus Christ is God the Father manifest in flesh. So we don't have to qualify all of that. But in Psalm 2, we see God speaking to Messiah. And we see him saying, ask of me and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. The uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. This is what Jesus is referring to. He is saying, as he said in Matthew 28, all authority, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go ye, therefore, go in light of my authority. I have been given all power over all the earth. All nations are mine. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all been given to me. I have been given every nation. I've been given every kingdom. That's why he said in Revelation, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. Jesus is saying that God Almighty has given me. Understand what I mean. God Almighty has given me the kingdoms of the earth. He has given me all of the nations of the world they belong to me now you are to go into every nation and you are to proclaim that fact you're not going to make it a fact you're going to proclaim that it is a fact and everywhere you go the the fact of the proclamation of that fact will convert hearts it will cause people to hear the gospel and they will believe the truth about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They'll repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and receive the Holy Ghost. And everywhere you go, the power of the preaching of the gospel will transform the hearts of men and I will call out for my namesake a church out of every nation, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, every nation, every people. And he said, this is what the Holy, Holy Ghost is for. It's not just for a buzz, but it is so that when you receive the Holy Ghost, it will bring something to pass in the earth. When I give you the Holy Ghost, he said, I am giving you my spirit and I am going to do a work in you. I, Jesus said, I am going to do it upon this rock. I will build my church. Paul said, it's no longer I, but it's Christ that lives within me. We are, as Brother Major said, I believe it was today, we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And so it is Jesus Christ building his church. This means then that the success or failure of the church is not dependent upon you and me. Now, the Lord may outlast us. He may wait us out, and we may die in a wilderness. But when the Lord said, I will build my church, he meant what he said. And he said, if I have to, I will raise up children unto Abraham out of these stones. I will have a church. And so when we read scriptures about predestination, we don't go all wobbly and start thinking he's talking about the predestination of Bill and Bob and Joe and Jim and Junior. But we understand that he's talking about the predestination of the church, that God has predestined himself a corporate people, a holy nation, and there's not a devil in hell, out of hell, anywhere in the world that can stop that from coming to pass. Now that's just the facts. That's just the facts. The bottom line is that's the truth, and we have to believe it. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth. Well, it doesn't matter what the devil says. The devil's a liar. It doesn't matter what politicians say. It doesn't matter what, what the financiers of this world say. It doesn't matter what Saddam Hussein's 
said. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the kings and the dictators and the prime ministers and the rulers of this world say. It doesn't matter. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in the earth, and of things under the earth and that every tongue will confess in every language that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The devil can just deal with it. He can't stop it. Now you see, if this work was just dependent on our charisma, if this work was just dependent on our skills, upon our talents, on our gifts, if this work was just dependent on our abilities, then we might have reason to tremble. We might have reason to become nervous and chew off our fingernails. And we might need to sit around and say, oh my, the church is going down, the church is going down. What are we going to do? Mayday, mayday. What are we going to do? Somebody call for help. SOS, send off flares. Somebody save us. It's the Titanic and we've hit an iceberg and we're going down. Somebody please, lifeboats. Ladies and, and children first, as the church is going down. What are we? But, but we're not building this thing in the flesh. It didn't begin in the flesh. It's not going to end in the flesh. We started in the spirit. It's going to wrap up in the spirit. And we've got to understand what that spirit is that we have within us. It is the spirit of Jesus Christ within us. The undefeated king of kings and lord of lords. He has already defeated death. What else does the devil have to throw at him? And so that's the power he's talking about. He said, I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you power more than just a buzz. I'm going to give you more than just a shout on Sunday night. I'm going to give you more than just a whoo-hoo and a whoop and a holler. I'm going to give you something that's going to work in you like the leaven works in the meal. I'm going to give you something that works in you like the mustard seed works in the ground. I'm going to give you something in you that's going to work like the kingdom of God breaking forth like a mighty force into the earth. I'm going to give you something, Jesus said, it's going to be me inside of you and when I get inside of you no devil in hell is going to stop what I set out to do and so he said you're going to get the Holy Ghost now the book of Acts starts out this way on purpose the book of Acts starts out just like this on purpose it starts out with one of the most I'm, I'm not being irreverent I'm not trying to be funny, but I'm, telling, I'm, not, I'm not being facetious about it. I'm telling you it's the truth. Speaking from a carnal perspective. I hate to admit it, but I, I can do that rather well. Is there anybody here that... Y'all, y'all have any practice thinking carnally? I do sometimes. I, 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 I wrestle with unbelief sometimes. And, and so sometimes I look at things that are instead of the things that are not and I sometimes I get myself distracted and so when I look at Acts chapter 1 sometimes I look at this and I think this has to be one of the silliest positions for any group of men it's just almost absurd now think about what I'm talking about here is Jesus standing on the mountain with 11 men Judas is no longer with us he hasn't been replaced yet Jesus is with 11 men on the top of a mountain in this remote backwater province of the world's greatest empire and civilization of that time. You understand that they were, in that world, in that time, they were um, 
the underbelly of the Roman Empire. They were not the prominent province. They were, they were one of the festering areas of revolt and, and insurrection and trouble and chaos. And their, their economy was always an uproar. And things were always... Judea and Palestine and Galilee and all, all of this whole area, they, they were not, this was not the best part of the Roman Empire. You understand that these people were oppressed. They were under the boot of Rome. They were, uh, Rome was holding them at, at spear point and they were, they were paralyzed because of the might of Rome and God was still holding Israel under the judgment of Gentile nations because of their sin even back from the time of Nebuchadnezzar. And so here they are. They are standing on top of a mountain, 11 men. Now, that the thing, it gets worse. 11 men standing in the middle of a province that is, has no influence, no good reputation in the empire. They're under the control of the world's mightiest army. They're under the heel of the world's mightiest military machine. They're paying tribute to Caesar. Caesar is having the Sadducees offer daily sacrifices in their temple in his name. This is going on while 11 men are standing on a mountain. But it, it, it gets worse. They are losers. They're 11 losers. They all ran. They fled into the night. One of them in, naked. They fled into the night. They betrayed the Lord. One of them, the leader of the bunch, cursed and swore and denied that he even knew him. Just not long after he had said, I'll go, to, I'll die for you. Well, he tried. He pulled out his sword and tried to cut off a man's head. All he got was an ear. And then to add insult to injury, Jesus picked up his trophy and put it back on the man's head. He couldn't even take it home and mount it. <laughs> and so... These 11 men are standing on the mountain. They are losers. They're ignorant and unlearned men. We see that later on in the book of Acts, even though they had been with Jesus. But they were ignorant, unlearned men. They were from every kind of background you can imagine. They were divided among themselves, constantly fighting over who's going to be the greatest, struggling with one another for primacy and supremacy within, within this group. They are a mess. They're losers, okay? They're losers. Jesus said, every one of you is going to betray me. Not me, not me. Who's he going to betray? They're a mess. And Jesus, I want you to get the scene of 11 men standing on a mountain with Jesus looking them in the eye and telling them, you are going to evangelize the world. They couldn't even evangelize their own mama. They couldn't evangelize a family reunion at this point. You understand? These men are losers. They are powerless. They don't have any money. Peter said, we gave up everything for you, Jesus. We gave up. Our, Peter was apparently a very rich man at one time. But he said, we've lost everything for you. We've given it all up to follow you. So they don't have any money. They don't have any education. They don't have any connections with politicians. They don't have any influence in the empire. They are a bunch of nobodies. And Jesus said, you are going to go to Jerusalem. And you're going to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. Yeah, right. The same Jerusalem that just killed him. And they just ran from the same bunch that fixed to preach to. And Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. I can see them looking at one another. Us? Yeah, you. Huddled in the house with the doors locked for fear of the Jews? Yeah, you. 
11 men. Caesar's in his palace. He don't have a clue what's going on. He's not impressed. At this point, hasn't even heard of a man called Jesus. And if he did, he sure wouldn't be impressed because he just killed him. He's not terrified of some false messiah that claims we've, we've killed thousands of men just like him before. Caesar's in his palace. Business of the empire is going on. Commerce and trade. Economy is booming. Marketplaces are bustling. People are going about their business. And here's 11 men standing on top of a mountain and the whole world is going on around them. Nobody even knows they're there. They're just a little old congregation of backwater, soon-to-be Pentecostals. Nobody, nobody knows anything about them. They're, they're not, nobody's impressed. They're not, they're not pulling any strings with anybody. You understand? And Jesus said, you are going to witness unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. It's getting wider, it's getting broader, it's getting bigger. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And he said, furthermore, you are going to take my gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. You are going to get Caesar's attention. And the book of Acts then starts out just this way to show you the spiritual poverty, the bankruptcy of 11 men before they received the Holy Ghost. The book of Acts starts you off just this way to show you that it all began with 11 men standing on a mountain. Now, there were other disciples. There were above 500 who saw him. There were others who gathered 120 at the day of Pentecost. There were others who followed the Lord. But these men were the leaders of the church. They were the 12 minus one because he was a devil. And now they got to replace him, and they go through all of that later on. But the book of Acts starts just this way to show us how God's work gets done. It shows us that it begins with men without any, without any advantages in the flesh, without thinking carnally now, thinking from the carnal perspective, these men don't stand a chance. Thinking from the carnal perspective, they don't stand a chance. What are they thinking? Jesus, why don't you choose the elite of society? Why don't you go to Rome and try to get someone with connections with the emperor if you're going to try to build a kingdom that's going to take over the world? What in the world are you doing, Jesus, messing with these Galilean losers? Jesus said the reason I'm doing this, as Paul tells us later, is that I might put my treasure in earthen vessels so the excellency of the power may be of God and not of man. Paul said, where then is boasting? By the time God is done, nobody's going to have bragging rights except Jesus. It's going to be Jesus that said, did you, did you win your neighbor? I did it. Did you teach a Bible study? I did it. Did you build a church? I did it. Did you run a bus or a van? I did it. Were you delivered from drugs? I did it. Were you delivered from drinking? I did it. By the time we stand before the judgment of Jesus Christ, we're all going to lift up our hands and cast our crowns before his feet and say, all glory be to God. We couldn't do it in the flesh, but look what the Lord has done. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And so Acts chapter 1 quickly dissolves into chapter 2. And chapter 2 opens up. Now when the day of Pentecost was fully come, you know what happened next. They're all in one place. They're in one accord. And suddenly there comes a sound from heaven like as of a rushing mighty wind fills all the house where they're sitting. 
there appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire set up on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It was noised abroad what's going on downtown. People came from every quarter of the city who had come from every part of the world. And they stood there and listened to a man who just a few days ago said, I don't know him with cursing and swearing. But now he stands up and stretches out over the balcony of the upper room and points that long bony finger in their face and says, this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel in the last days saith God will I pour out of my spirit upon all flesh what shall we do repent be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost the promises to you your children and to all that God will call and then with many other words he testified that that day were added unto them what three thousand souls and they begin to fill Jerusalem up with their doctrine they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers, having favor with God. I'm telling you, good things started happening. What, 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 what class did you take? What, what seminar was it that you attended, Brother Peter? What, 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 uh, what subscription service was it? What magazine were you reading? Exactly what was it, Brother Simon Peter, that, that, that brought this, this awesome transformation? We would like for you to come and speak to our... our uh, what, what happened? And all Peter could do is just sing, I got the Holy Ghost down in my soul. Just like the Bible said. Right? Hallelujah. And Acts chapter 2 becomes Acts chapter 3 when they're on the way to prayer meeting and the man says, alms, alms, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And immediately he leaped and he danced and he shouted and the people said, oh, look what the Lord has done. The priest said, in what name have you done this? Chapter 3 chapter 4 they're in, in, in argument in conflict in disagreement with the priests and the officials in the temple but they keep on preaching they said what should we do obey God or should we obey man you you judge you decide they said these men are ignorant and unlearned but they've been with they, they've been they, they've been with some somebody somewhere got hold of them. It wasn't too long ago all we saw was the back of their head disappearing through the night. What happened? They got the Holy Ghost down in their soul. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, it's Jerusalem where Ananias and Sapphira come when all the people are giving everything they have and distributing to the poor, kind of, kind of like that offering tonight maybe. I don't know, they're just bringing everything and giving it, giving it, giving it, giving it. And Ananias and Sapphira said, oh, we want some glory. God said, no, 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 you, I don't share that with anybody. And they came in, they tried, and they lied to, to Peter. And Peter said, well, you're not really lying to me at all, but you're lying to the Holy Ghost. And man, they had a move of God that night. Ananias fell dead first. And then uh, they had real revival broke out here in a minute because his wife fell. You know, most folks don't really want real revival because 
it has consequences. But anyway, Ananias and Sapphira come in. They lie to the preacher. They're really lying to God. God kills them both. They drag them out, bury them, and the church has great revival. Fear comes upon them all. With many, great power gave the apostles and all this stuff. All good stuff's happening. Peter's walking through the streets, and his shadow is just falling. People are lining up and putting couches and gurneys everywhere. Man, here comes Peter, and he's just coming through there, and his shadow's falling on people, and they're jumping up, and they're dancing and shouting and talking in tongues and getting the Holy Ghost, and the high priest is pulling out their hair and tugging at their beard and, and casting dirt in the air and blaspheming God and saying how are we going to stop these people tearing their clothes and, and man chapter 5 ends up with chapter 6 where if you're going to have revival you got to have church trouble I don't know why it happens but it happens every time and I don't know why I'm fixing to make some folks mad here I don't know what happens either but sometimes it's them sisters that start talking and they, uh, the widows of this group started complaining against the widows of that group and, and before you know it they all messed up and they finally said we got to get some we got to get some servants in here to help and so they brought in the seven men you know the story chapter 7 Stephen standing preaching face looks like an angel they rush on him they bite him with the teeth they cast him out of the city and they stone him with stones and there's a gentleman there who apparently was in one of those synagogues of the Cilicians that Stephen had, had preached so powerfully to this particular gathering of men that the Bible says they could not answer what he said and if you'll go and look you'll find that Saul of Tarsus was from that region it very well may have been that that was Saul's home synagogue and it very well may have been that the reason that Saul was so angry against Stephen was because Stephen was the first one that shut him up cold. And a man like Paul don't like to be shut up cold. And so he signs the death warrant and he holds the garments while they stone Stephen with stones in chapter 7. But the Bible says that out of that persecution, the gospel began to spread from Jerusalem to Judea till all the villages of Judea. Chapter 8, it goes all the way down to where? Samaria where Philip is preaching Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria chapter 9 it must be in chapter 9 where the Lord says I know what I'll do I'll, I'll get their best and their brightest the one who riding down the road praying that God would strengthen him to persecute the church oh God give me the strength to destroy these Christians oh God if you would help me exterminate this Jesus from the earth oh God I pray God of my fathers of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob help me kill these Christians and make them blaspheme and put them in prison and while he's riding down the road the heaven splits open and the light shines on him and knocks him on the ground Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He knew who spoke from heaven who art thou Lord and then Saul of Tarsus got the shock of his life he never forgot it it completely reoriented everything he ever believed he was the Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee of Pharisees. He had the pedigree that would make every good Jew envious. And yet in one moment while praying that God would help him exterminate Jesus, he said, who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus. And in one blinded, awestruck moment of revelation, Saul of Tarsus suddenly realized that what he thought he was doing in his righteousness was actually unrighteousness which becomes the very basis of his argument in Romans when he said you think you're doing everything right in the power of the law only to find out that all of your self-righteousness only produces the works of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. As he said in Galatians, he said I got a revelation. And so then Acts chapter 10, the gospel goes to 
Cornelius and then from Cornelius chapter 11 Peter keeps on preaching chapter 12 Peter's in jail and then chapter 13 Peter begins to fade off the scene he goes down to Caesarea and then other parts and then chapter 13 we find Saul of Tarsus Barnabas and being sent out chapter 14 they're preaching the gospel chapter 15 the controversy over circumcision the keeping of the law chapter 16 Paul goes out again this time with a different partner chapter 17 preaches the gospel what is it in Athens chapter 18 chapter 19 passing through the upper coast certain disciples uh, we haven't heard about the Holy Ghost Paul said well then, then, then how in the world will you baptize you got to get this Holy Ghost you got you to have this Holy Ghost you see if we're going to preach the gospel in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth then you got to get this Holy Ghost because we've got to become witnesses that will preach the and it can't be done in the flesh it can't be done just by merely confessing Christ as Savior you got to be filled with the Holy Ghost you got to get Jesus Christ living down on the inside of you so the power of the Spirit will do his work within you Acts chapter 20 talks to the Ephesian elders 21 he's back in the temple gets in trouble again they arrest him Acts 22 23 24 25 is all of his apologies and explanations 26 telling Agrippa and Festus and all the different ones that'll listen anybody that'll hear him he's appealing to Caesar what in the world are you doing don't you know if you hadn't appealed to Caesar then then you would be free don't you understand but Paul said no you don't understand the Holy Ghost told me that God was going to lead me all the way to the very center of the empire. The Lord is going to lead me all the way to the very seat, the very seat of his power. The Lord is going to lead me all the way until the representative of the gospel is going to be brought before the throne of the greatest emperor the world has ever known. And in that moment, two kingdoms are going to come head to head and the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. Twenty-seven is the voyage to Rome. Twenty-eight is when he arrives in Rome. And though we have no account of Paul's witness before Caesar, we do see elsewhere that even those of Caesar's household salute you. Even those in Caesar's house want to tell you, Jesus is Lord. I'm telling you that the words that Jesus spoke on a mountain with 11 little broken, beaten, defeated men. They didn't have any money. They didn't have any education. They didn't know which way was the right way. All they knew was Jesus said, if you'll just get full of the Holy Ghost, I am going to do a work in you like you have never seen done before. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And so the book of Acts then, from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 28, is all about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth, until the word of the Lord came to pass. And we're still fulfilling it today. For though that was that was a, a, a specific and a significant work that had to be done, that was the first fruits of evangelism. That was the first fruits of the world mission that God has given the church. Peter and James and Paul, all of them spoke of themselves as first fruits. They understood that when Paul stood before the Roman emperor and you understand Rome began to fall the day they nailed Jesus to a tree 
And the day that Paul stood before Caesar was the day that he was announcing Jesus Christ is Lord in the very halls of power. And I'm preaching to you that that first fruits revival, we're still living in the effects of it today. You and I in general Louisiana, thousands of miles removed from a mountain in Jerusalem, just outside the city. You and I, thousands of miles removed. We are living today in the promise that God made to his disciples that day. You will receive power. And though there are many fakes and there are many phonies and there are many, there are many imitations, yet this Pentecostal experience that was born on the day of Pentecost is being multiplied around the earth in every nation. Every Sunday I remind our church this is the Lord's day. And on the Lord's day we are gathered together with the saints of all the ages. On the Lord's day we're gathered together with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with David, with, with Noah, with, with Enoch. We're gathered together with all of the saints throughout the ages but not only are we gathered with all those who stand before his throne for to be absent in the body is to be present with Christ but not only are we together with them but we're gathered together with saints of God who when the sun first woke up the morning at the earliest point of this day the praises of God begin to ascend from one God Jesus name baptized Holy Ghost filled holiness living people in every nation of the world and the praise Praise of God is going round the globe, ascending up before our God. We've come to say it one more time. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And it doesn't matter how the world denies it or the world defies it. The world cannot prevent it. It is an accomplished fact. It is already done. And so Acts chapter 1 through chapter 28 is the story of them fulfilling what God told them to do in a first fruits sense. This means then that if they are the first fruits, then we are the remainder of the harvest. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so in Acts chapter 1, we often look at this passage where we say, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And it's such a powerful statement about what God did in them. They went from 11 men, unknown, uh, in a backwater province, without any money, and yet they shake the world. These be they which have turned the world upside down. Down. Everywhere they go, they're preaching this Jesus. Everywhere they go, and, and this thing wasn't done in a corner. But everywhere we go, we're preaching the gospel. You've got to ask, how did they do it? How did they accomplish it? What was the secret? It was the power of the Holy Ghost. And yet it was more than just this abstract feeling that they got on Sunday night. It was more than just this theoretical knowledge or understanding of, it was more than just this buzz that they felt. It was more than just coming in and having good church. But the Holy Ghost when it came, Jesus said he will teach you all things and he will lead you and he will guide you and he will direct you and all of the things he said. But you've got to understand that on 
this mountain, something very, very powerful happened when they were standing with Jesus that day that made such a profound impression upon them that they labored their lifetime in light of what they saw. Something happened that day before they ever even received the Holy Ghost, though certainly the Holy Ghost is what brought it alive within them. But before they ever received the Holy Ghost, something happened that day that forever shaped their approach to evangelism. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he had spoken these things and they're all eyes. They're watching. And when he's speaking these things, he looks at them, I am sure, with one final scan of their faces. Boys, do you understand? And as they're watching him, the way it's described here, it doesn't seem like it was just boom and he's gone. Maybe it was. I wasn't there. But no, no one else was either, so you, you can't argue with me. So anyway, I mean, unless you've got some scripture that I hadn't thought of, and that's fine. That's wonderful. I'd love to learn more. But the bottom line is it looks like, it looks like that Jesus began to rise up before their eyes and begin to go up, and then the Bible says a cloud received him out of their sight. And they're standing there watching Jesus ascend up before them. And they're watching him go. And his last words are ringing in their ears. Go and tarry at Jerusalem. And they're watching him. And they're amazed. Until finally a cloud is floating by. And he disappears from their sight. You ever watched a balloon that you let go after a party or something? And it just takes off and then you just can't see it anymore. And then it's gone. Or a plane that's flying by and, and then it's gone. Or, or, or a space shuttle launch or something. If you've ever been down to Cape Canaveral and you just watch till it's gone. And then, and then, and they're standing here kind of like this. They're getting sunburned on the roof of their mouth. Attending prophecy conferences. Peter was pre and Andrew said he was post. And uh, Bartholomew said, I'm mid. And the others just said, would y'all hush? Y'all don't know what in the world y'all talking about. And finally somebody pokes him in the ribs with an, an angelic elbow. If angels have elbows, I don't, I'm sure they do. <laughs> said, excuse me, gentlemen, ye men of Galilee, as if to remind them. <laughs> ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing? He said, the same Jesus, look at this now, verse 11, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? Why are you just standing here looking at where he disappeared? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. There's two things here if I can say it this way, that they saw. They saw the first thing that riveted their attention is they saw him ascend. 
And yet the angel said, I want to tell you what you just saw. Sometimes you don't see what you saw. And they're watching him disappear. And they said, you've got to understand where he went. This is not some kind of uh, stratospheric journey that he's taking. He's not just being carried away in a whirlwind like one of the prophets. But something unique is happening here, disciples. There's something different going on right here, and it's never happened quite like this before. He is ascending up into heaven. And the book of Hebrews makes it plain what he did when he got there. He sat down upon the very throne of God. Brothers and sisters, when we think about where Jesus went when he went away, so oftentimes it's like a child whose mother goes through a door and they don't know what's on the other side of the wall and they get what's called separation anxiety because they don't know what happened to mama. They think mama just disappeared and she's gone on the other side of the wall. The baby doesn't understand yet. Mama's still there. There's just a wall between you. That's the way some people are with Jesus. It's almost like out of sight, out of mind. He's gone into heaven and it's almost like I feel him when I worship on Sunday night and I, I love the feeling of Jesus being in me and Jesus is here right now. Reach out and touch him and oh, I'm so glad the Holy Ghost is here. The Holy Ghost is here. Jesus is here. Oh, that's But we forget that yes, his spirit is here but his spirit is here because he is there. Jesus said, I can't give you the Holy Ghost till I go there. I don't understand this. Can't get my brain around it. But there's something about the power of the Holy Ghost and the omnipresent Spirit of God that Jesus Christ said, as long as I'm here on the earth walking and talking with you, I can't give you the Holy Ghost. There's something about him being the repository and the container of the fullness of God that as long as he's in this spatial, temporal, geographical location, he can't give you the Holy Ghost. But Jesus said, but, but, when I ascend up into heaven, I am going into an eternal realm. I'm going into a heavenly place. And when I go there, the very omnipresence of God Almighty is going to begin to flow through me into you. We've got to understand what's happening there. Jesus Christ is upon the throne of Almighty God. And the very spirit of Almighty God has now been given because Jesus has been glorified. And furthermore, not only when we receive the Holy Ghost, do we receive the spirit of God the Father. Now hang on now, I don't want people to get off my wagon. We not only receive the spirit of God the Father, the divine we also receive the spirit of glorified, triumphant, tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin, touched with the feelings of our infirmity, humanity. We're not only receiving the spirit of Almighty God, but we're receiving the spirit of the man Christ Jesus that God manifests himself in flesh. That means that the triumphant spirit of Christ that overcame every temptation is in you. The spirit of Christ that was weary and overcame in spite of it is in you the spirit of Christ triumphant victorious humanity 
But Jesus said, I can't give it to you as long as I'm here. I got to go there so that I can become the very font and the very source and the very central distribution point, if you will, of the Spirit of Almighty God that is going to flow through a man into men. And by the power of the, of the glorified humanity of Christ, empowered by the Spirit of God the Father that dwells within the man in fullness, I hope I'm not misunderstood, because if I am, it'll be ten years before I can ever straighten it all out. In fact, I probably never will. And as one who has been occasionally misunderstood, I'm a little sensitive, particularly in bad weather. And so, I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm not talking about a multiplicity of gods, but I'm talking about the spirit of almighty God flowing through the man, through the vessel of that humanity and flowing into you and flowing into me. And Jesus said, this is why I'm giving you the Holy Ghost because the spirit of God was on the prophets and the spirit of God filled up John the Baptist and the spirit of God was in David when he said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. But Jesus said, I'm gonna give you something David never had and I'm gonna give you something Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the rest of the prophets never had. I'm going to give you a power that has been tested and tried, has been dead, buried, and resurrected, and came up victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Do you know what I got in me right now? I've got the resurrected spirit of Jesus Christ who fought every devil in one, who fought sin and death and won, who grabbed the keys and jangled them in the devil's face. I've got the spirit of Christ. That's how I can be victorious. How are we going to do it? We're not. How are we going to do it? How are we going to build a church? We're not. How are we going to raise the money? We're not. How are we going to pay these bills? We're not. How, how are we going to evangelize the nations? We're not. Brother Joyner, how are we going to build a work in beliefs? We're not. At least we're not by ourselves. But there's something on the inside. Now, God doesn't do it without us. He does it through us. He transforms our humanity and he works through our personality. He works through our approach. He works through our understanding, through our intelligence, which is a problem sometimes. He works through our intellect, which can be limiting, but he, but he works through us. Amen? He works through us, but it is him doing the work through us. And so then, the first thing they saw on the mountain, y'all still with me now? I'm not going to preach as long as Brother Booker. <laughs> Gumbo's calling. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm almost done. Of course, almost is relative, but I'm almost done. She can sleep, my brother, but you stay awake if you don't mind. Okay. The second thing they saw was something they couldn't see. They saw it, but they couldn't see it. Not yet. The, the angel said, he's gone into heaven, and you don't, you don't know what you, you didn't see what you saw. 
You, you need to see what you just saw. We need to explain to you what you just saw happen. Okay? They got a hold of the ascension. The ascension of Jesus Christ. They saw him as king and priest. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. In fact, that's what the book of Revelation is about. That's what the whole Bible is about. About Jesus Christ as king and priest. And so, and so they got it. They, they saw it. And they, they said, okay, okay, he's king and priest. He's on the throne. And I know they got it because Peter preached it uh, in, in Acts chapter 2. We oftentimes skip over the Pentecostal sermon. If we really preach the day of Pentecost like Peter preached the day of Pentecost, we couldn't preach it without preaching the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because that's what he spent the bulk of his message talking about was the ascension of Jesus Christ. And then he said, because he has ascended, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. And so they preach Holy Ghost in light of he's there. So now the Holy Ghost has come here. And so all through the book of Acts, it's ascension, ascension, ascension. I'm not making it up. It's everywhere. It's all through the book of Acts. Everywhere you look, they're talking about Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is ruling and reigning. Jesus is Lord. It's all through the book of Acts over and 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 over again. It's not an occasional thing. It's everywhere. It underlies everything they preach. But there's a second thing they saw, and this was this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. The second thing they saw that they haven't, could not see, and we have not seen yet, and yet we are still expecting to see it, is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing they saw was Jesus is on the throne. And if Jesus is on the throne, all principalities and powers must bow before him. If Jesus is on the throne, then the devil is defeated and Caesar is an imposter who lies every time he says he is God. But not only is Jesus on the throne... But this same Jesus who is now seated on the throne is coming back again. And so the angel said, it's right for you to look up. It's right for you to look up. But it's wrong for you to look up this way. You need to look up this way. Because there's a work for you to do between now and then. Keep your eyes up and keep on working and keep on walking and keep on looking. Lift up your eyes. Your redemption is drawing nigh. Jesus is on his way. Behold, even so come quickly. Lord Jesus, behold, I come. Keep looking for him. He's coming with clouds. Keep looking for him. But while you're looking for him, don't just stand here gazing. And so the second thing that you see all throughout the book of Acts is something like what Peter said in Acts chapter 3. Repent you therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you whom the heavens must receive until the time of restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets. Do you understand that the early church, the New Testament church, understood the only way we're going to get this job done is we've got to know that Jesus is on the throne and he's poured out his spirit into our hearts and yet the spirit that he has poured out into our hearts is the spirit of his resurrection and the spirit of his resurrection 
resurrection it's drawing me past my sin it's pulling me past my death it's drawing me like a magnet to a time when Jesus is going to come again and I am going to share in his resurrection you know what you got on the inside of you right now? If you have received the Holy Ghost, you have the resurrection in you. It, it, don't matter, it don't matter how much the devil wants to hold you down. If you've got the resurrection in you, the old songs, it ain't no grave. Ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. I'm coming up out of this ground. Do you understand what you got on the inside of you? Do you understand what's working in your spirit? Paul said, I have not yet attained unto the resurrection. He said, but I got something working on the inside of me. I was dead in my sins and in my trespasses, but he quickened me together with him. He made me alive and he lifted me up and made me to sit together with Christ in heaven. Is anybody going to help me preach just a little bit tonight? I've come to tell you the early church understood Jesus is on his throne and he's coming back again. And when you got that combination, there ain't nothing in the world can stop you from building a church. Do you know what you have inside you? You have the resurrection inside you. Brother Boyd, it was just a few weeks ago, you was preaching for us in Fort Worth, and we had great revival for about four weeks or so. And on one Sunday night, I don't know what got into me, but I just kind of got the feeling. That we sang some songs. They were good songs, enjoyed them, but, but I got the feeling like I want to sing something. So I just kind of bumped that guy out of the, you know, them fellas that tried to take over. I just bumped him out of the way. No, they don't really try to take But I did bump him out of the way. And I started singing, Some glad morning we shall see Jesus in the air. Coming after you and me, joy is ours to share. Brother, I'm telling you, we went from one song to another. For about 30 minutes, we sang old song after old song after old song about Jesus coming again. And I'm telling you, I almost felt like we were just about to go. It felt like any minute. It got stronger. It got bigger. It got deeper. It would come in like waves. We'd shout for a while, sing a while, shout a while, sing a while. Somebody would run. Somebody would dance. And we was all doing rapture practice. Trying our best to get. I'm telling you, when you understand Jesus is coming again, this world is not my home. I'm only passing through. Hallelujah. I'll tell you the feeling I got that Sunday night. I felt like the Holy Ghost was saying, I want to remind you one more time, lest you get too comfortable, lest things start feeling too at home in this. I just want to remind you one more time. Come home, my child. Come, my bride. I'm calling you to come and be with me. I'm talking about the view from the mountain. I'm talking about little backwater Pentecostals that don't have the sense, the world thinks, to get in and out of the rain. But brother, it's not about sense. It's not about money sense. It's not about intelligence or intellect or education. It's about being filled with the resurrection power of the Spirit that begins to call us home. 
When you know Jesus is coming, you'll preach. When you know Jesus is coming, you'll pray. When you know Jesus is coming, you'll sing. When you know Jesus is coming, you'll evangelize. When you know Jesus is coming, you'll reach out to your neighbors and loved ones. There's something about that power on the inside. It's like a magnet setting up in heaven. And Jesus has poured out his spirit. And his spirit caught us. And now he's pulling us to him. And the world has been in a slow motion 2,000 year rapture that is going to crescendo in one great moment when Jesus comes again. The dead in Christ, the last trump of God shall sound and then the dead in Christ are going, what now? They're going to rise first and then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and so shall this mortal is going to put on immortality and this corruptible I feel it working in me right now. That's why I can't be happy with Hollywood. That's why I can't be happy with this world. That's why I'm not satisfied with money. That's why I'm not entertainment doesn't do it the world can't satisfy there's something down inside me that says come a little higher come a little higher come a little higher oh give God praise And so Paul said, brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended. That's just a big word for got hold of it. He said, I don't count myself to have got hold of what I'm reaching for. And if you read Philippians 2 or 3, he's talking about the resurrection. He's saying, brethren, I'll be honest with you. I know there's Hermanus and Philetus and others are teaching the resurrection is past already, but they are wrong. Creditorism's nothing new. The doctrine that the resurrection is past is nothing new. <laughs> but Paul said, I don't care what they say. I do not count myself to have apprehended. I don't think I've made it yet. Help me now. But he said, this one thing I do. Sometimes you got to focus on one thing. This one thing I do. What now? Forgetting the things which are behind and doing what? Reaching forth. What did he say? I press now, just before that, he said, brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but before that, he said, I seek to apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now, that's a powerful statement. It's unbelievable when you understand what he's saying. He's saying, I don't think I've grasped it. He said, but I am seeking to grasp that for which Jesus has grasped me. You've got to get this picture of Jesus up in heaven pouring out his spirit into the earth. And Paul says, I'm trying to lay hold on something that has laid hold on me. 
He said, I'm like a little child flailing around with my arms and my legs. He said, but I'm trying to get as good a grip on God as God has a grip on me. Now you know we can stop right there and shout for an hour. Because the reason I'm still here today is not because I had such a good grip on God. I know I love that old song, I'm determined to hold out to the end, but there's been some times when I wasn't determined. My determination failed. I was completely I was completely broken in my spirit. My fingers were tired. I'd been hanging on till I couldn't hang on anymore. And I'm not talking about backslide. I don't want the world, never have wanted the world. But I'm talking about just the place where you don't, don't feel like you can go any further. But I'm telling you through those moments, something, someone had a hold on me that brought me through when I couldn't bring myself through that kept me going to church when I didn't have it in me to keep going that kept me paying my tithes when it was but he got hold of me can I get a witness and so Paul sets up the image of running a race and we're running uphill and he says I'm forgetting the stuff that's behind me all of my success in the past and he said I'm running up a long hill and I'm running hard and I'm running tired he said, but as I'm running up the hill, he said, I begin to feel the, the, the gravity, the pull of gravity of the world start trying to pull me back. He said, but about the time something starts trying to pull me back, I start feeling something from another world that begins to pull me a little higher. And he said, I'm... I'm in this race and I gotta keep running. I don't count myself to have laid hold, but this one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind and reaching forth with everything I have, with all of my strength, grabbing another bush, grabbing another root, grabbing another branch, another clump of grass. With everything I have, if I have to crawl on my belly, I press. I press. He said I press toward the mark. The word mark is finish line. I'm pressing toward the finish line. And he said, on the other side of the finish line, there's a prize. And that prize is the resurrection. The finish line is death. Paul said, I'm pressing toward death. Now, we don't have that attitude today, but Paul did. He said, we got too much here, you know. If there's a call of another world that's bigger and better and stronger than the call of this world, when the pull of heaven becomes more than the pull of earth... Paul said, I'm pressing toward death. I'm ready to run and lay my head down on the chopping block. He said, I'm pressing toward death with everything I have. Because on the other side of death, there's a prize. It's a big, tall trophy. And it's called resurrection. And he said, on the resurrection morning, when all the dead in Christ shall arise, I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. He may not have sang that because they hadn't wrote it yet, but it's still true. And so I press. Are you with me now? But look what he said. I press toward the mark for the prize of what? That high calling literally means the upward call. It literally means that Paul said, I'm pressing toward the mark. But there is something that is calling. There's something from the upward that is pulling me higher. 
And he said, I'm pressing with everything I have. I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize. And he said, this prize is a result of an upward call. It's something that when I can't pull myself, it starts pulling me higher. When the world tries to pull me back, Somebody shout to the Lord. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. But here's what I got to say when I quit. Who are we? Who are we? You're talking about a silly picture of a bunch of wannabes. Flapping their gums about how they're going to evangelize beliefs. Sure you are. Sure you are. Yeah, we're going to take the gospel to China. Sure you are. Yeah, we're going to preach the gospel. Yeah, sure you are. Who do you think you are? Don't you know you're just like 11 old men standing up on a mountain. There's a bunch of nobodies. Galileans. Yay. Galileans. That's who we are. Outcasts. Paul said we're the off-scouring. We're the scrubbing off the pot. Awful, and that's not A-W-F-U-L. That's awful as in scrubbing off the awful of the world. Who are we then? Let me tell you who we are. We are a people who have stood together upon a mountain, and we have heard the word of the Lord say, God is in his heaven, and Jesus is coming again. And with those two things in mind, we refuse to bow our head, We refuse to be backed into a corner. We refuse to be intimidated. It doesn't matter if the Trinitarians have the cathedrals. It doesn't matter if the Trinitarians are preaching that God is three persons when the Bible plainly teaches he's one and it seems that they hold sway in every higher institution of learning and every professing Christian community. It seems like that we little oneness heretics are just out here bouncing around on the edge just trying to say, that's what a lot of them are doing. Hey, look at us. Look at us. What about us? What about us? I'm saying it's time to can that nonsense. It's time to quit dancing around the edge of the playground and trying to get the bully to pay attention. It's time for oneness people to stand up and say, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. He's always been one. He's always going to be one. We refuse to back off we're not backing down we're telling the whole world what the truth is about Jesus and if the devil don't like it he can just get over it we refuse to be intimidated why because we know our one God is in heaven and he's coming again and if Jesus is coming we might as well get busy Oh, praise the Lord, everybody. Oh, praise the Lord.